0: friends and welcome to the Kings of Anglia podcast on this Monday morning. It's not raining outside but I feel like it should be because that would fit perfectly with the mood from Saturday's latest shit show. Unfortunately friends, water is wet, the sky is blue and town still can't beat a promotion rival. Grimly predictable what happened with fans back at the weekend unfortunately and that's my email just going off. I'll have to turn that off shortly. Apologies for that. Um, but back this week, from a, after a week off from the podcast... Fired up and ready to go, I'm sure. Stuart Watson, how are you?
1: Yeah, 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 well, well fired up. <laughs>
0: um, Stewie, before we go on to the, um, the miserable business of football, how's Christmas arrived in the Watson household? How excited is young Aya? What are you eating currently in terms of Christmas snacks? Uh,
1: the, the food carnage is yet to come. I'm, I'm still being good on that front. The decorations are, are up and have been for a while. I think most people have gone early this year. Yeah. Little liar in answer to your question, is currently sat downstairs and uh, is off school today with a with a stinking cold. And I'm solo dadding whilst working. She's under strict instructions to uh, stay glued to her iPad while I while I chat to you boys. And right on cue. She's shouting up the stairs. So if there's any in- <laughs> interruptions today apologies
0: <laughs> do you need to go and check what's going on
1: no you're all right mate carry on talk okay. about yourself
0: uh, rossi how are you my friend has christmas arrived in the halls household you're currently sitting on your bed there's a dream catcher behind you a very fetching little red dream catcher um how's things it's good um i'm not naked on the bed do not worry you
2: can see me and i'm okay.
0: I can really confirm that, that, well, I can tell that you've got clothes on your top. I'm not sure about your bottom, oh. but please. No, 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 <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't need to see that. Um, so, yeah, have you got, obviously, I know your decorations are up because I've seen it in the videos you've been doing. Um, mm-hmm. What is the state of play in, in terms of Christmas in the Halls household?
2: Well, Sasha has been my girlfriend, if people don't yeah. know that already. Um, she's already got all the Christmas food sorted. That's all in, you know, in the freezer ready to go. You know, turkey and all that jazz. So um yeah, she's very prepared. Um presents uh I've actually done my christmas presents really quickly this year, which is normally I'm last minute, I'm last minute guy. <laughs> christmas Day. <laughs> no no. Um but yeah, presents uh I've just got to wrap them basically.
0: Boys, what is um what is your particular weakness when it comes to the Christmas food? I am a sucker for the peanuts. I can go through a, a, an entire jar of peanuts, you know, it's like big things of peanuts you get this time of year. I can smash one of them half, you know in about an hour or so it's very very bad for me but um what what about you roscoe are you more of a sweet man obviously we know you're a jaffa cakes man
2: yeah so you know celebrations quality street all that roses um yeah of course last week i announced that my i got my nan's christmas cake yeah that's already gone oh wow uh that is uh yeah so she's made me another one so that is coming very soon so i'm looking forward to that but um yeah just just a lot of sweets and chocolate and all that which is uh not good for the belly, but it's Christmas, whatever.
0: It's good It's good for the soul. Watson, yeah. we know you're, a, you're an emotive eater. What are you mainly eating over Christmas?
1: Um, tubes of Pringles will be consumed. Um, last year, I stumbled across uh, the Oreos that are kind of dipped in white chocolate, coated oh, yeah. in white chocolate. Uh, yeah.
0: they're, they're dangerous. Uh, just all, all the good stuff. I can't wait to get properly involved in that. Um, obviously, we're not we're not far away now. Um, boys, I suppose we better talk. Unfortunately, about football. Um, we spoke last week. Uh, me, Roscoe, and and Hutchie spoke on the Wednesday about this potentially being well. Hutchie said it was the biggest game of Lambert's Town career. I said it was the biggest game Town played since the playoff semi-finals against Norwich because of the possibility for Town to turn things around, play in front of their own fans, finally beat a promotion rival. And really kick things off and get going. Sadly, of course, that didn't happen. They were 2 0 down at half time, as we kind of talked about. Uh, and we had some booze also, as we kind of predicted and talked about half time booze and then full time booze. Sir sure, Watson, it's depressing, it's predictable, and it's just shit. Um, your thoughts, please.
1: Um, Running out of things to say about all this, really, because I feel like we're just kind of going round round and round in circles with it all, aren't we, to be quite honest? Um, major caveat with the injuries, of course. Before I start sounding like the manager, that that is a fair comment, that they are without some, some big key players at the moment. Norwood, Downs, Vincent Young, their best players from last season. Um, I think it's left the side looking pretty unbalanced. I thought the midfield looked short of a bit of steel, a bit of physicality. Um, they're very high on technical players at the moment, but when I mean, Paul keeps talking about doing the ugly side of the game, he talks about sort of going back to basics and just competing first and foremost and earning the right to play. I don't think they did enough of that on Saturday. Um, but it's still a deep squad. It's still a squad that has more resource than most at this level. That's why you have a squad to cope with moments like this. And you still look through that team and it's still Caden Jackson, who cost 1.6 million and had offers from Bournemouth. It's still Alan Judge, an international footballer. It's still um, Stephen Ward, Premier League. It's still, you know, you could go, you could go through that team. It's still, it's still a reasonable team and it should be, more competitive than it was against Portsmouth because they were uh, 2-0, could have been 4-5, well beaten, very disappointing. Mm.
0: And whilst two goes off to tackle the solo dadding issue, Roscoe, you were there, obviously, fans were back. That's the, that was the big difference this this game. Um, you were speaking to them before and afterwards. What was it like having having fans back, first of all, and, and what did you make of the, the entire game? Um, I'll
2: go to the game first. Um... Meh nah, nah. meh. Mm. Um but I'm gonna yeah, I'll let do say what he said on the game and then you know, I'm sure you got comments from fans. But yeah, having the, the fans back was just fantastic, you know, to walk on Portman Road, seeing people in blue. Of course it's it's cold now, so a lot of people got the coats on over the tops, but then people do the trick where they have a few lads on and then they have the Itchwich Town top over their coats, which yeah, what I used to do, Um because you want to still show the blue. But, yeah, just seeing fans there, I know it's only 2,000, but it still brought a bit of an atmosphere, and it felt like there was actually a game at Portman Road. Um, You know, of course, the, the chants and the claps, everything, and, of course, the booze and uh, half-time and full-time were back. But just as a whole, it was just good to see fans back. And, yeah, unfortunately, on the pitch, it wasn't as positive.
0: Yeah, it was really nice, wasn't it? And... Um, and well, I mean, I say unexpected, it was really nice to see that the players get clapped onto the pitch. And even Lambert got a good reception when he when he walked out, which maybe was not what I expected. Um, so the fans were, were clearly there. They were fired up. They're ready to get behind the team. But I saw uh, in, in your post-match video, one of our one of our game day people you met outside the stadium afterwards said it was great to be back. But unfortunately, there was just nothing to get behind. There was nothing up top. There was nothing in midfield and there was nothing in defence. Um and that really was the story of the day, wasn't it? Stu are you back with us?
1: Yeah, you're you're fine, mate. I can multitask. I'm hitting mute when I need to. You're you're fine. Um okay. Yeah, I think on the on the subject of the fans, great great to have them back. I got a real sort of uh, a warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> she's just letting everybody know she's got two baskets in her Peter Rabbit game. So um
0: I think we've lost Sorry. you. Oh, he's back! Yeah, he's back. back.
1: Sorry, I just uh, just had to uh, shout out there. This is a shambles. I apologise. <laughs> um, the fa- I think the fans do. It was great to see them back. Really nice, and I think they all genuinely turned up with a sense of goodwill towards the team and a desire to be positive and to want to back the team. And that showed when the teams came out for the warm ups. Really warm applause for the players. Big smiles on their faces. You could tell that they got a a buzz off of that. And then Paul Lambert kind of emerged a few minutes after the players. And you think, "Mm, what's the reception going to be like here? But really good, warm reception for him. Applause from, from the South Stand where he emerges. He sort of reciprocated that with some applause above the head. So... There can't be any complaints there from the management or, or the players in terms of people wanting to get behind them. But we always have this conversation about whose responsibility is it to lift who, and I think the fans do their part at the start, and then and then the onus is on the players to give them something to get behind. and And that didn't really happen, to be honest. They had they had one chance really of note in the first half when when Dobra had a chance inside the box, and that really was it for, for the game. And I felt even up until. That Dobra chance, Portsmouth, I thought, from the very start, looked like the better side. I know Paul says, apart from the first 15 minutes when we played well, I mean, even inside that first 15 minutes, Portsmouth had chances. And I I thought the die was cast fairly early on in this game. Um, Familiar tale, once as soon as Ipswich come against a better side in this division, they come up short. Defensively, they come up short. The two goals were yes, the first goal was really well worked from Portsmouth's point of view, but poor marking. The second goal is is a is a a routine long ball, lose the header. They're quickest to to the ball. Two 0 at half time, and that was game over. I said to Andy uh, as as we were approaching half time, if they score a second here, that that's it, we're done. And yeah. the second half was you know a classic case of just the game drifting. Portsmouth were, were well-organised. Ipswich had no answers to it. Uh, when, when a team parks sort of two banks of four behind the ball and are, are well-organised, they're, they're too ponderous, they're too slow, the way they move possession. Um, I thought there was a moment that kind of summed it up where Ipswich had a spell of possession in in the final third, but just didn't ever look like they had the creativity or all the ideas to, to break them down. And I think it ended with Alan Judge sort of curling a shot from long range that the, the keeper punched away. But, um yeah, the, the same old sort of frailties from, from front to back, which ultimately ends up with them well beaten by uh one of the sides that are up there. And, and those stats about not beating the better sides are um are abysmal, to be quite honest.
0: Mm. You wrote, uh, I like, uh, in your Stu Says piece, you referred to... um the goals were slick, but the defending was slack. That was that was slick, Stuart Watson. Um, the record, as you say, is abysmal. We'll take a few thoughts from the, the KOA army because we've had a record number get in touch. Um, so I'll just I'll just drop these in every now and then because I want to get to as many as possible. Nigel G, friend of the show, NHS Hero, says, I'm running out of things to say now. It's like Groundhog Day. We're too slow and there's not enough bodies getting forward to support attacks. We hardly ever test the opposition keeper. We're too slack at the back. I'm getting seriously worried about how this season will pan out if the Lambert boy stays, making reference there, of course, to Steve Evans and his little nickname for Lambert. Peck and Blue says we're a rotten and spineless club, just boring. I'm going to avoid all investment, financially and emotionally, as that helps. Um, Joe Fairs says, "Why isn't Lambert?" Sorry, Joe Fairs, Ladessa, my friend of the show. Why isn't Lambert setting us up to try and win these games? He isn't going to get the chance to see out his philosophy. Do you think your reaction from fans in the ground will have made any difference to Marcus Evans' thinking? That's a good question, Stewie, because um, we said before Marcus likes to take <clears throat> the temperature of the fans by the reaction in the ground. Obviously, he's not been able to do that for some time. This is the first game he had the chance to see how the fans feel about the team and Lambert in particular. And obviously, they made their feelings known. Do you think that will influence Marcus's thinking in any way at all, Stewie?
1: I think it will, yeah. I think it's... Uh... I think it might surprise him and and Paul potentially. I think um, I don't think they've I think they've underestimated the mood music and how fed up everyone's feeling about all of this. Um, Paul started his, his press conference prior to this game by kind of having a little off the record discussion with with the media guys present, talking about you know where, where would you expect us to be in the table at this time of the season? We're third and you know I feel like I've had this conversation with Paul a few times it's it's not about where you are in isolation now if it, if this was the first season after relegation and Ipswich had the sixth now but had they been third with the injuries that they'd had then there would have been a huge amount of goodwill there still but it's it's not it's the second season on it's the second it's the sec, it's this is for Paul now this is season number 3 after a fairly limp relegation took over in the November, you know, the same sort of time that Mick McCarthy took over and managed to keep Ipswich Town up from, and they went down without a whimper. And that was kind of all accepted because he got a free pass because of the squad that he inherited. And he also, there was also a sense that he was doing some good PR work and was trying to build a a brand of football. Now, all that kind of seemed to go, in terms of the the style and the identity went out the window in season one in league one and they've ended up finishing 11th and forget about the points per game method they would have finished there around about there no doubt about it because it was relegation form from october onwards so you've got relegation you've got an 11th place finish in league one so then to kind of to expect that now to then be bleating about negativity and be surprised at sort of a at the feeling around the club at the moment, I think is um, naive in the extreme. You've you've had so many passes of goodwill now from from the media, from the wider fan base. You know, there's a, there's only so long that people can kind of keep hit, hitting the reset button and, and sort of going, right, OK, we'll try again to get behind this because there's just been so many false dawns, so many disappointments. And it's not about where it's which are in the table. It's about where they've come from and, and more importantly, where they're headed. And I think everyone can see a mile off the way that this season is going and the way that it's all unfolding Um, You can go through so many stats about how many points from the last X number of games. and You can go back whether you want to do it over the last 10, whether you want to do it over the last 40 odd. The stats are all telling you this is only heading one way.
0: Mm. I'll take a few more thoughts um, because I say we've got so many. Tom Rumsey says, it just feels like what's the point? There's nothing to suggest Lambert will take Ipswich forward. There's nothing to suggest Evans will change it and repeat Brad says my gripe with Lambert is doing plan A over and over again with the injuries we've got. Yeah. Expecting the same result. Um, you have to adapt to injuries. Also bringing dry on because he needs minutes is just crazy as though he's not bothered about winning the game. Kevin says it was fantastic to be back. Such a shame. What I witnessed. Remember when Marcus told us, you don't get to see the bigger picture. And I follow what in the flesh is much worse. I've seen more penetration in an asthmatic tortoise. So Kevin's clearly been watching some very niche videos online. Um, Dimmy says, a point overlooked, our old friend Dimmy from the live show, a point overlooked is what happens next year. We remain in League One or are promoted. I would be concerned with the current team management form and tactics. If promoted, we'd be relegated soon after. The lack of consistency against stronger teams is a huge concern. Then he amends that and says, actually, we do have consistency. We consistently do not win against them. I mean, League One next season, boys, this, this is a valid point as well. If Town don't got. This season, you look at the, some of the sides towards the bottom of the championship at the moment. Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, Nottingham Forest. League One next season could be a, a bear pit, a snake pit in terms of the, the amount of big sides there and the um, the chances of getting out of it. And obviously, you've got the, uh, the, the salary cap thrown in there as well. Um, so, yeah, a big concern. Uh, Matt Thomas, friend of the show, says with Marcus showing clear support for Lambert, Lambert disregarding not only journalists but also fan views. And now Chambers laying into fans at the end of the game. Can it get much worse? I'm still paying for three season tickets each month and I'm now wondering why. That's something we should also mention, of course. Um, Oliver Sullivan, one of our um, news colleagues, was in the crowd and did a piece for us uh, and reported that his lasting memory of the game would be Chambers getting into a slanging match with fans um, who would uh, obviously shout something not too pleasant at him, which clearly is not not nice, uh, but Evans had a, uh, Evans, Chambers had a bite back, and sort of pointing fingers and, and getting quite angry with them. Roscoe, you were you were pitch side as ever. Um, mm. Did you say anything like that? Or, or any kind of players, was there any kind of sense of fans getting on players' backs particularly? Or uh,
2: not, not that I could see, but, you know, obviously fans were, you know, saying, you know, doing different chants and stuff. And, you uh-huh. know, when, when we're, about to attack and then we foul the attack and fans just like, you know, go, yeah, of course, well, of course we've, you know, we are fucked up basically. Mm. Um, and you know, yeah, yeah a few people go off, oh, God's sake, what a bad pass or, you know, Lambert saw it out and all that. And of course at full time it was booze and Lambert out and stuff. So, you know, even with just two, far- oh, as I said at full time, the stadium was pretty much empty where the full time whistle pretty much went. Um, I was actually... I had to do my Roscoe Reacts, of course, part of the game day, and I thought there was going to be still fans in the ground when I finished it. When I looked up, everyone was pretty much gone. And I thought, oh, God, I'm probably going to miss all my game day people outside. They're probably gone now. But luckily, they were, They were out there, and I just want to say a big thanks to them. But...
0: Yeah, um, not about, a good game. You've you said before, recently, you've said that the team, that the players haven't been as vocal in recent games. Obviously, we've talked before about Chambers being very loud and, and Stephen Ward as well. Uh, has that, is that still the case? Was that the case on Saturday? Were, were the players vocal at all? Or? Not Not really, to
2: be to be honest with you. Like, Lambert was vocal for the first five, ten minutes. And then I felt, basically, when it we went 1-0 down, it just went silent. The whole stadium was like a morgue. Um, and no, no, it's no disrespect to the fans. I think they just had nothing to cheer about, really. They they enjoyed being back in the stadium for 10 minutes because, you know, you know, live football for the first time in nine months. You know, of course, you're going to clap the players on and all that. But when you see what's been put in front of you, you just, what can you be positive about? What can you sort of cheer on? Mm. Um, but yeah, the players, you know, there, there's moments where players, you know, they do this standard comment saying, you know, Oh, you know, space, pace, over there, over there and all that. And, you know, Chambers, I heard him say a, a very naughty word, but I, I won't repeat. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, they weren't as vocal. Chambers isn't as vocal as he, he normally is. I think he's just frustrated most of the time. That is what the most vocal he's about is just his frustration. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a frustrating game of football to watch. And as a fan, it's, yeah, it's
0: not, it's not great viewing. Yeah. Um a question from Mark Rogers, one of the KA army, says, Can we now run in front of the dugout with our fingers in our ears? Um, making a reference, of course, to the players' celebrations from earlier in the season, seemingly suggesting that they're above criticism, perhaps. Um so one of the big the big kind of moments in this game was um when Lambert had the opportunity to to change things and perhaps throw on another striker and didn't. Obviously he brought on Dryden, which is tremendous, that's the right move. Um but uh, clearly, uh, <laughs> what what did what did you make of that? Because obviously, the fans—that was one of the moments where the fans really um, decided to, to to boo and get and get on the decision.
1: Yeah, um, if I'm being, if I'm trying to see it from Paul's point of view, him saying about we can't afford any more injuries and Caden's missed a lot of football, uh, be it through injury or the COVID situation earlier in the season. We you know he needed to come off. Okay. I would have quite liked to see Hawkins and Jackson as a pair because I think they've got the makings of a of a partnership. You know, Ollie winning the flick-ons and and Caden's pace in behind. You looked back at the previous two games and Ipswich were transformed when they went to, to two up front. Um, the Oxford game they suddenly looked like they might have half a sniff of scoring when when Hawkins came on and won a series of, of flick-ons, and then certainly Plymouth, um, you know, a big part of that game-changing was was when it went to those those two up top. So you would imagine that off the back of those two games, that would have been the go-to move um, chasing a game that you, you you're behind in. Um, I'm not necessarily advocating that from the start. I think you know they've made it clear that. They want to work on, a have a proper plan A and an identity. And I think it's only fair to acknowledge that that's what we were all calling for at the start of this season, to kind of pick a system and, and work on it. And and that's fine. But we've kind of gone, as we said before, from one extreme to another, from kind of flitting between formations and personnel from week to week to now being so steadfastly stuck to it that there was... You know, the, obviously, Paul's talked about them being useless with two up front, which I just thought, again, that was a strange thing to kind of rule out so many different formations by just saying you're useless with two up front. You're 2 nil down in a game. There's half an hour to go. Ollie Hawkins is going to be absolutely chomping at the bit to come on against a club that I'm sure he'll want to prove wrong for letting him go in the summer. And you, you turn to Aaron Dryden. Because he needs game time, I know one of your one of the listeners you had kind of said about that almost as if that's kind of you know you give people game time in the 23s if they're coming back from injury and they need to get up to speed, not not just as a kind of a gift for the final thirty minutes in a game against the top six side that you you're trying to chase so mm. Paul sort of says, well you know I, I, don't, I, did, I don't want us to become a long ball side I don't want us to lump it up long time." To, to Ollie, but yet 10 minutes later, he does bring on Ollie Hawkins and he does go to two up front. And, and that by that point, another 10 minutes of the game has gone. So I'm struggling to kind of see all, all the logic behind uh, Paul's thinking with, with those substitutions mm-hmm. and the timings of them, I have to be honest.
0: Mm. Um, we'll take a few more thoughts. Um, Connor Hume says, uh, Danny Carroll is so impressive. Lambert's going nowhere and has had two years. Get Cowley in. ASAP Blue Soap says the reception for Lambert was okay before kickoff. The fans wanted to believe this green shoots crap. Contrary to popular belief, he was solidly booed afterwards. The happy clapping was for Dobbs, Cornell, who are okay. We have some talent, just need a manager who can actually manage. I mean, in terms of bright spots from the game, um, Dobra, Dazel, and and Cornell were all okay, weren't they, Ross? They, they, They had decent games. Yeah,
2: Cornell, oh, well, I think the game itself could have been you a know, bigger scoreline, really, if it wasn't for the crossbar and, of course, Cornell making a few <laughs> saves. Um, of course, Dzel. I think he always plays a, a, a decent game and always good to have him back after his, his suspensions. Um, and yeah, Dobro, once again, he, he just loves to play, doesn't he? He just loves wow. to ball at his feet. He wins a lot of free kicks. He, he spends most of his time on the floor, but it's because he get he's a target, isn't he? Because I'm I'm sure big defenders and midfielders will target him and go, you know, we've got to take him down and make sure he doesn't get past us. Um yeah, that, that was really the only light really of the game. It was good to see Dobra get an opportunity to to play again, start again and he had a few shots himself. Um but yeah, that was the only really positive
0: to take from it, you know, Dobra again playing really well. Wow. I saw someone suggest in the aftermath of the game that the crossbar was actually Town's man of the match, which uh, gives you a, a little insight into into how bad it was, perhaps. Uh, and Kenny Jacket, obviously, the Pompey manager said afterwards he thought they could have scored a lot more goals, um, which is never good to good to read. Um, Chris Peach says another drab performance with very little fight. I noticed whenever we had a throw in, no player wanted the ball, and the amount of time we just threw the ball up to Jackson, we lost it, and Pompey went straight on the attack. Is that players lacking confidence or not playing for Lambert? El Balaam says no movement in front of players and a complete lack of confidence would be interested if anyone can think of any club that has come back from this relatively low position and sour atmosphere without changing manager. FPL Tractor, am I getting very cynical? But is it a coincidence that the Cavalry are returning to play just in time for the January transfer window or for Lambert leaving perhaps? Um, a lot. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, of comments along the, along the same sort of lines. Chris London Tractor Boy. I know we've got a lot of injuries, but this team should still be good enough to perform. I'm not expecting to win every week. I'd expect to win most weeks with a fully fit squad. We just lack attacking threat, urgency, creativity, and confidence. That's all down to coaching. Post game, Stewie. Obviously, there's, there's been a, a few different Paul Lambert's post game this season, notably the very angry one at Oxford, which you tackled. Um, but in terms of his post game comments, at least it, it, he seemed kind of. Um, more accepting, accepting of the fact, maybe for the first time this season, that, that what happened on Saturday wasn't good enough, and he mentioned harsh words in the dressing room quite a few times. What, what kind of mood was he in after the game?
1: Yeah, we had sort of confrontational Paul at Oxford. Mm. We had sort of cryptic Paul, which I think is probably my least favourite Paul. After the the Plymouth game, where he says things like "I I know what needs to change, but I'm going to keep that to myself," and when he just kind of just leaves phrases floating in the ether, mm. um, and then on Saturday we had uh, downbeat Paul. Uh, yeah, it was a it was like a little bit. Ross said sort of first five ten minutes. He was back to sort of bouncing around in the the technical area, clearly sort of feeding off the fans um but it's like a little bit of fire sort of went out in him as during the game and and that sort of continued post match just a real acceptance at least there was no kind of we're playing really really well we're play you know that was the stuff that was i think irking people earlier in the season, just a complete acceptance that we we were second best um we didn't compete enough. there's been some harsh words exchanged they were in the dressing room. A lot longer than they usually are. We're back to kind of not quite as long as the Lincoln five three lock-in um, from uh, when was that? January time, Christmas time yeah. last year. But um, yeah, we're back. We're back to that that part of the cycle where players are getting sort of staying in the dressing room and by all accounts, they all kind of have their say and go go round the houses. Remember Luke Wolfenden sort of reflecting on that Lincoln locking, just saying it got to a stage where I thought. Right, give it, give it a rest, boys. We're not, we're not really getting anywhere with this. You know, we're all just hmm. saying the same things in different ways. So, um, but yeah, Paul was, I thought, a little bit sort of down, downcast by it all. Um, was trying to say the right things about what we need to do next, but um, he, he knows it wasn't good enough.
0: Hmm. Uh, and interestingly, kind of on that topic, obviously Stephen Ward said after the game that the players had all had a chat and they they have to start afresh on Tuesday. Which obviously, you know, in isolation, that's kind of what you want to hear from your players that they're they're all talking together and accepting that it's not been good enough. And but the problem is we've heard it so many times now; it's just kind of words, isn't it? Um, and I know you know they can't really say much extra, but we just <laughs> obviously we have to see some kind of evidence of that on the pitch. Um, and you spoke to Mark McGinnis this morning as well, Stu, who um, who had a kind of we have to take responsibility sort of take on things, didn't he? Yeah. First
1: thing I'll say about Mark is I'm, I'm so impressed by him as a character, as a 19 year old lad um, speaks with real maturity. Um, Slightly surprised to see that he was the one kind of put up to do press this morning. I think it's telling that we're not really getting the, the Luke Chambers and the the Allen judges and the more senior players sort of doing press as much this year. I think Luke's only done it twice actually, and we're a third of the way into the mm. season. So that to me is, a, is another sort of indictment of kind of people needing to take more responsibility about, about the situation. Um, but Mark, Mark spoke re- yeah really well about sort of um you know basically it's it's easy for for everyone to to blame the manager, but we're the ones out there on the pitch that that need to do it and do better and that that is we've talked about this on the pod before that is quite looked where it's the big discussions about the ownership and about the manager that ultimately if you look at the eleven players that go out there on the pitch, putting everything else aside should should they be doing better on a lot of occasions I would argue that. Yes, they, they should. Um, I think, I don't know, it's, it's coaching obviously plays a big part in it, both in terms of the way the team's set up and man management. But um, even with the injuries, I, I don't think it's unfair to expect more. You know, they're losing. We go back to it. We talked about it being a big six games that could shape Ipswich Town season. Mm. And I think well, I did a, sort of some predictions going into it. And I said two wins, two draws, two defeats, which... I said, would be sort of uh, leave more more questions. They've ended up with, with a point less than that with seven points and have only scored, uh, what, four goals in those games, two of them against 10-man Plymouth, two against Shrewsbury, which never looked like coming, one of which was an own goal.
0: It's not good enough, is it? No, absolutely not. Take a few more thoughts before we move on. Uh, Mac O' the Mills said, it's sad to admit, and this is a worrying thing because I'm seeing this trend kind of increasing, but worse than being infuriated with the state of our club, I've now become kind of apathetic. That's really depressing. I didn't even bother listening to the last three games and that's unthinkable up to this season. That's always, for me, when fans start going past anger into just apathy and not caring. That's a a major red flag. Um, Sam Chapman said, it was like I'd never been away. Uh, on the pitch, last game I went to was Coventry. We could still be out there and still not look like scoring. No hiding place now for either Marcus or Lambert. Mike King says, how long can this be allowed to go on? If I could see we were playing well, but just not getting the breaks, I could just about accept it. But we're not, and I can't. Um, Vincent Bird, a stubborn manager who's taunting fans with awful tactics. The chairman is overseeing a plunge to new depths of that sadness, yet they tell us they have a good plan. Mick Lumley says... Um, I feel uh, Ipswich Town now are basically just a piss poor tribute act to the club they used to be. Um, He says, scrap that, they're not a tribute band. They're football's version of Weird Al Yankovic, taking delight in mocking my memories and dashing my hopes. I'm so effing angry, he says. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that that is generally the tone. Harry Marcham, Stu, says best wishes to Stuart and Andy and Ross having to cover this team for a living. <laughs> At least you get paid to go to the games, boys. Uh, other people are paying to go and watch them. Um, so, There's a yeah. couple,
1: couple of points in there I'll pick up on. I think when, when people are talking about the sort of the memories of the club, it used to be, and sometimes within the club, it's quite often spoken about the sort of the, the, the glory years sort of being a, a millstone around the neck of this club. And, you know, it's not Paul's often spoken about, you know, the, the 78 and 81 is a long time ago now and it's not the same club forget forget that era i'm i'm 35 years old and i i don't remember that era so you've got a generation of of fans now um that if you're under the age of 30 you can barely remember the fifth place finish in the premier league you can barely remember the sort of the fun of that those burly years let alone the ancient history that's come before that that's that's the yardstick that i think it's which are kind of being held against now i don't think anyone's got any delusions of of grandeur about Ipswich have got a divine right to be a, a premier league club or anything like that so i think sometimes that gets overstated about sort of the expectations being too high because of walks and the mills and people like that I I, I genuinely don't think that that is the case and the other point that going back to someone said earlier will will Marcus kind of will the mood within the the ground affect Marcus I think what will affect Marcus thinking more is about how many people stop paying their season ticket direct debits now they sold around 9,000 season tickets remarkably in the middle of a global pandemic when people didn't know when they would come back I'm still staggered by that Mm -hmm. Um, but i tell you what that number won't be anywhere near nine thousand now um a lot of people will have stopped paying purely because they might have been expecting to get back in the ground earlier than this and it might be because of covid reasons but there will be a lot of people now that have probably just stopped paying because of how they feel about the club and and you're right that the big dangerous emotion here is apathy rather than anger and i feel like we've kind of We've gone back through an anger stage, and the minute you start getting to the point where people are not that bothered anymore, and this is a dangerous time because of because of COVID, because of people not being able to engage with the club in the same way. People have found other things to do on on their Saturdays, Mm -hmm. and that's I've seen comments from people going, you know, I've I've been a season ticket holder for thirty years, and I, I pride prided myself on not missing a home game and I used to travel back from from holidays so I wouldn't miss a game and when those sort of people start finding different things to do and an acceptance that actually this doesn't have to be their life anymore that's a really dangerous situation for this football club.
0: Mm. Yeah I mean from my personal experience I have obviously a lot of friends who who are town fans and I would say at least half of them when I speak to them about town now, just say they're not interested. They're not following the team. um, They won't go back until things change. It is is a real worry from that point of view. Um, Boys, any other notes from the game before we move on and maybe do something a bit lighter to to throw some light amongst all this uh, depressing shade, which you seem to be talking about most, most weeks at the moment. Any other notes, Roscoe from the game? I
2: think we should move on and uh, hope for better. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, let's move on to something a bit lighter, Ross, because on, on Friday night, you broke new ground on our, on our Instagram channel. You, uh, you hosted the first live strike on our Instagram page. That's Kings of Anglia on Instagram. You should be following that. If you're not, why not? Um, the only acceptable reason is if you're not on Instagram. Um, but you, you hosted a live strike. We were, we were hoping, thinking that we could see more history with Azaboom becoming the champ, champ, champ as it turned out it was the worst defense of a world title since anthony joshua got knocked out by a fat man um because he he only got one question right talk us through it tell us what happened and who won
2: yeah it was um a good experience for myself trying to not butcher names and just you know say naughty words but uh yeah as a boom disappointed in you one question right just one unbelievable but yeah only, was four, only was, one yeah um, there was three other people, of course, competing for him. He you know, Azabu took took on to defend his crown first. Uh yeah, one one basically one question needs to get right. Um so someone had to beat basically one. Um luckily someone did, uh Taylor, I think Tyler. I kept I don't know what his name was. Taylor Tyler. I don't know I don't know how he says it. Um he got three right, and then the next guy only got two and then Luke Penning. You, um, a regular person on this um, podcast, of course, um, who does comments and stuff. He then won. I know he got he got free as well with uh, Tyler. So it was a tiebreaker, which I was not wanting. I didn't want a tiebreaker. That is the worst for any quiz, having a tiebreaker. And I did have a tiebreaker. And uh, Luke won. So he is the new strike reigning champion.
0: Well, the new champion, Luke Penning. Yeah. Um, a tender of the first KOA Live. Uh, and now champion, reigning champion of the strike. Uh, hopefully... As we said before, KOA Live is coming back a week on Wednesday, 23rd of December. Hopefully we'll get Luke versus Azaboom as part of that, that strike on that live show. And what a way to set us up for Christmas, a battle of the titans for the strike title and other people, obviously, as well. We may have a new champion. That'd be tremendous. But boys, let's do a Mark's big question as well. Roll that intro music.
1: Uh, question, question,
0: question. Right then, boys. In the spirit of everything we're talking about, this week's question is What are you the worst at in the world? Obviously, Town are worst at beating teams they, uh, that are around them in the playoff race. They're terrible at that, unfortunately. But what are you the worst at? Um, I'll start because it's sort of Christmassy themed, my answer to this. I am the thing I'm worst at in the world is probably wrapping presents. Um, I'm dreadful. I get covered in cellar tape. Um they look they look like a dog's been at them afterwards. Um, there's bits usually sticking out. Um I use way too much paper. I went through a period of using tin foil to wrap up presents, such was my uh, complete lack of ability in that regard. Um another thing I'm really bad at is is DIY. Um my I have a rule I've said generally, if I can pay someone to do it better than I can, um that's what I'm gonna do. I've not had any major DIY disasters, but I just know uh, if I was to get too ambitious. I'd probably burn the house down. Um, so, Ross, obviously, you're, you're brilliant at most things. <laughs> but um, what, what, what are you worst at? And don't say pronouncing names, because obviously, you no. know, it. that's the easy oh, cop-out. What, um, what, what, what are you worst at in the world? It's, it's not
2: Christmas-themed, uh, uh, but uh, my handwriting is dreadful. <laughs> uh, I just, honestly, I, I've tried my best to improve it every year, but it's just... You just can't read it. Like, pretty much, my seven-year-old niece has got a better handwriting than me. Um, I'm sure Stu's daughter has probably got better handwriting than me as well, because mine is just—I don't know why—I just can't just can't improve it. Um, and of course, nowadays you don't really write as much, do you? On, yeah. You know, with pencils and pens, so it doesn't—you know—I don't do it that often. But yeah, handwriting is uh, not good, and my spelling as well—it's not great either. So pretty much, the, the key things you need in life to succeed.
0: I'm yeah right, good at writing arithmetic um yep. I, the other thing i'm really bad at on, on a kind of scholarly point of view is geography my geography is dreadful um in terms especially in this country i've got no idea where counties are where places are um i am a buffoon in that respect Stuart watson you're you're a buffoon in no respect you're, you're extremely wise and talented but what are you dreadful at what are you worst at I'm just making a
1: mental note about your geography because I might be able to squeeze a few more uh, miles through on expenses. Tell you that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. North, Northampton—that was a—that uh, was quite a long journey. Or Peterborough at the weekend might stick another hundred on that. Yeah. Um, I'm f- at this very moment in time. I'm failing at at, at parenting because I've just um, swatted my daughter away, who's saying she's hungry. I've told her to go and open a couple more doors of her advent calendar. <laughs> just, just do that. Keep the wolf from the door. I'll, I'll sort you something out properly in a minute. Um, uh, I'm particularly bad at being decisive. I'm a very indecisive person, and I hate myself for it. It's my it's my res- New Year's resolution every year, but it's uh, I can't I can't get around it. Maybe that is the crux behind all my rhetorical questions that I ask myself all the time. I just uh, I'm an overthinker
0: you are you're also i'd say on that note so you're quite suggestible as well um because you're quite indecisive if if someone comes down strongly on one side of an argument you'll just go yeah yeah i agree <laughs> um so that that's frequently been a been a situation we've been we've been faced in um how is how is aya you say she's, she's been sent off to the uh the advent calendar um so that is a treat in itself i've no idea i'll find out in about 10 minutes time <laughs> Dear, oh dear. Right then, boys, let's move on. Mark's big question. We've all learned a bit more about each other and let us know uh, on Twitter what you're worst at in the world, Kowei Army. Um, something that happened uh, after we last spoke, literally a few hours after we last spoke on the podcast, which was frustrating because it would have been good to talk about it last week, was Marcus Evans came out and apologised for using the, the phrase be careful what you wish for in reference to the state of play at the club uh, and, and how he won't be swayed into into getting rid of Lambert. Um, for me the apology was the right thing to do. I don't think there's any shame in, in saying sorry, acknowledging you, you've made a mistake in saying sorry. Um, obviously, you probably shouldn't have said it in the first place. Um, but what did you make of that, Stu, um, the big man coming out and saying, I shouldn't have said that?
1: Um, I always think an apology that starts with, um, for, for any of those who are offended, um, I apologise type type vibe always <clears throat> excuse me, feels a, li- a little bit hollow. Um, I think the original statement probably showed a few true colours about how Marcus truly feels about the situation. Uh, I can understand maybe there's an element of, of fans and outsiders that are still stuck on the, the Mick McCarthy end game, but for, for that to still be at the forefront of Marcus's mind worries me because it's now about where we move from here, not what's got us to this point. And if, if, if in Marcus's mind that he feels that looking back, he should have risen above popular opinion and trusted his gut and stuck with Mick, which seems to be the the crux of what he's saying from that for him now to go, right, I didn't do that with Mick. So therefore I have to do that with Paul is worrying because I, I don't think you can compare Paul Lambert to, to Mick McCarthy in terms of what he's achieved or not achieved so far. So if that's a kind of an insight into where Marcus is thinking at the moment, um,
0: that worries me. Mm. I saw a lot of people saying after the apology that he shouldn't have said it in the first place and that someone should have said to him within the club, Marcus, do you think you should say this? But of course, we've got no idea if that happened, because ultimately, even if someone did say that to him, Marcus Evans owns the football club. He's, he's going to say what he wants at the end of the day. Um, and and he did, uh, clearly, which we, we talked about at the time being a, a terribly uh, misguided um, decision and antagonistic towards the fans. Ross, were you please that he apologised? Do you care?
2: Oh, sorry. Oh,
0: sorry. <laughs> um, but no, uh, joking aside.
2: Um, yeah, I think that's what he needed to do. But, I, you know... Whoever's advising him to do these statements and adding that is uh, wasn't a good thing to do. Um, I'm sure it was like a smart little thing they he wanted to put in there, but in the long term, it wasn't. Yeah, it was not a good idea. You know, myself, I know it's bad to say, but I just I don't really care about these statements. Really, I, I'm I'm thinking more about the results on the pitch. You know, you can say players, managers, owners can say whatever what matters really is on the pitch 90 minutes three points after the game i think you know that's that's my take on it mm. um maybe it's think- a bad thing going going ahead going into games like that but that's just yeah that's how i Yeah feel. you
1: you you're absolutely spot on um that none of all this other stuff around the sides matters if if it's happening on the pitch statements uh fingers in ears goal celebrations all of that sort of stuff doesn't matter if you're winning games and you're having success and ultimately it all comes back to results, doesn't it? But um, you know, if you, if if the plan is to kind of tell everybody that the financial playing field is is going against us soon, and it's a long term plan, and we're developing developing a style, and we're we're producing, you're you're essentially asking people for patience. Then all of that extra sort of stuff does matter because it buys you some goodwill. And I feel like um, you know, at a time where Goodwill is is running out. They're not helped. They've not helped themselves off the pitch at a time when when they need that. But you win win some games and it all gets forgotten about. But that that's the concern at the moment. You can't see where the the, the sustained run of wins is is going to come from that makes all of all of the extra stuff go away.
0: Yeah, I agree with what actually like you say, spot on. In terms of there's a lot of hot air that comes out of the club. Um, people saying the right things players saying, we, we know we've not been good enough and we've had chats about it. But until we actually see some evidence of things turning round and, you know, then beating the sides, they should be beating in terms of promotion rivals if they want to go up. Um, unfortunately, I think this malaise is going to continue to hang over the club. Um, now then, boys, let's move on. It's Burton tomorrow night. Ipswich Town host bottom of the table Burton. One fully expects them to dispatch Burton uh, and we go on with kind of lingering death uh, of the season where they, they beat the, the kind of lower-ranked sides and but, but then can't beat the promotion challenges around them. Getting to the point almost where it will be soon. Maybe we can't even call town promotion challenges anymore, depending on, on how this continues. But, um, Roscoe, Burton at home tomorrow. What, what do you reckon? Burton at the bottom of the table?
2: Yeah, uh, if we... I, you know, once again, it's going to be good to see 2,000 fans at Portland Roads. Uh, I don't know what they would have rather seen the Portsmouth game or this game. Um, you know, bottom of the table or a team in the top six. Uh, for me, it's probably going to, I think me and Stu spoke about this in the office, it's just going to go full circle, uh, a terrible mm. full circle. Like, beat the teams below us, lose against top six, te- top ten, and then we'll play against another top six side, lose against them, and then... People below us. But as you said, we're not, you in know, a, in a, in a, soon, we're not going to be a promotion side. Mm. You know, if we lose against Burton, hopefully we don't, because that would be just disastrous. That would be the worst moment, I think, for us as a club to lose against a team bottom on the table. But then I looked at Burton's results recently. They're actually four games unbeaten, oh. three draws and a win. Okay. Um, so, in a way, that's weird. They're bottom of the league, but somehow. You know, they've they're still four games unbeaten, so they may go into this game feeling some sort of positivity, you know, bottom of the league, but we're still getting results. But yeah, I'm not feel, I'm not really feeling good for this one, really. I think oh, I feel I'm more right about this game than Portsmouth, really.
0: Mm. Stu, anything other than an impressive win over bottom of the table of Burton at Portman Road is gonna be a serious setback, isn't it? It doesn't they need to win, it doesn't
1: matter how they win. Good. This is this is a really dangerous game with, with the pressure rising, with ex- fans back in the ground, expectation, maybe confidence low, and everyone goes, Burton, bottom of the table, got to beat them. And it's a bit of a lose-lose situation because if they win, it's, well, you know, we're, we're stuck in that cycle and, you know, let's see what they can do at Peterborough. But Burton put four goals past Charlton recently, beat them 4-2. Since then, as Ross says, they're four unbeaten. They've drawn at Sunderland. They've drawn against Crewe. They've drawn against MK Dons. And um, Ipswich have kind of seen that Crew and MK Dons are, are no pushovers either. So um, this might be a more difficult game than, than people are anticipating. And it's just got um, all the ingredients for it to be a, a tricky evening that leads to some more ill feeling from, from the stands, the ones that will be there are Mm. obviously going to be the the next lot on the ballot that that won't have been there on, on Saturday. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll turn up as we said, you know, again, with goodwill and they'll start, you know, the excitement will be there. It'll be their first time in Portman road for, for nine months. So the onus is very much on, on the team to set the tone from the off. Um, I hope they can do it, but I can't say anyone can sit here with the, and speak with any great confidence or, or optimism at the moment, um, with the way that the season and the last few weeks
0: have have been going. Mm. Yeah, it's worrying, isn't it, when we're talking about <laughs> saying, "I hope they can beat the bottom place side." Uh, and then, obviously, after after Burton, it's a trip to Peterborough, who are very much among the ranks of promotion rivals um, at the weekend. So we shall see. Roscoe, um, should we talk about a town side that are actually winning? i um, doing well because the town ladies were in action yesterday. They won nine two. Um, just fill us in on, on the game. What was it? Where was it? Who scored?
2: Well, I can't remember the goal scorers now because there's you know nine goal scorers. Um, well no, there's someone who scored a hat trick and some braces, so it's not like nine separate goal scorers. You know, you know. But um, yeah, it was um good to see goals flying in. Um, you know, seeing goal threat. You know, there was zero goal threat for the men, but for the women's team. You know, they were, of course, they had a, a month away because of lockdown. Unfortunately, I had to stop play. Um, but, yeah, they came back, you know, firing all, all cylinders, basically. Scored very early on. George Allen, uh, summer signing, scored a hat-trick, a first hat-trick for the club. Natasha Thomas got a brace as well as Aloise King. Uh, Sophie Peskett scored a goal as well. And uh, Abby Lafayette scored as well. Um, a bullet header from her. But yeah, they're playing Harlow. Harlow Town in the FA Cup first round proper, so then the next round the FA Cup. Um, nice set-up at Harlow, by the way. Nice little setup up there. Um, took us a while to get there, because uh, there's diversions, as they normally are, when you want to get to places. Um, and the weather was very, very shit, but um, it is what it is. But yeah, good, positive win for them. <laughs> 11 goals for me to see after watching us play terribly against Portsmouth. But um, yeah, good, good, good all-round for the, for, the, for the women's team.
0: And George, George Allen's the, the girl from Berry, isn't she, originally? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So
2: um she went over to America, spent That's four right. years in America for scholarships. Um she was previously at Arsenal. But yeah, what a player. You know, I thought Blue Wilson was a baller, but George Allen's up there as well. Um, some promising signs and hopefully another FA cut run for the team. I think the draw is happening today at one. So by the time we come off the podcast, we'll we'll find out who we're getting in the next round. Hopefully it's not Plymouth away or something stupid like that so we could play Plymouth so that is uh we don't want that
0: no we definitely don't want that when are the ladies next in in action then is it this weekend they play again or
2: yeah so they take on um AFC Wimbledon away uh and they have basically a Christmas break so just two games for them um after lockdown but yeah AFC Wimbledon could be a test for them because they're they're tied you know fighting for promotion like town so that should be a good game. And uh, Natasha Thomas is one goal away for 100 goals to the club. So she uh, could be hitting that, you know, that landmark against Wimbledon, which will be, I think she wanted that instead of the Harlow game. I think, you know, yeah. score your 100th goal in a, a 9-2 thrashing is probably not what you want. You want it in a very like league game and hopefully a, a lot
0: of the winning goal. Yeah. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Nice to see um, a, a town side consistently winning. Um, good seeing him back in action um so yeah look out for them they're, they're they're on twitter aren't they and on instagram and all sorts so you can follow their fortunes on there and obviously roscoe is the uh, the club photographer so he travels along with uh, with with kieran uh to them stewie any other any other things to mention before we take our leave you've got to a, a talking points preview ahead of burton um anything else you want to talk about my old friend
1: no other business oh. <laughs> no. I've and I've, I've got to go on that note sorry
0: guys
2: <laughs> okay
0: see you later Um, Roscoe, anything else to mention? No,
2: that is it. You know, just uh, Burton's going to be as dreadful as Portsmouth, I have a feeling. So get ready for a goalless draw. Happy
0: days. I hope not, because these podcasts are difficult to do. Um, Hutchie obviously is not around today, and I think he's been struggling a little bit. Um, with motivation for podcasts um, he feels like he's sort of saying the same things all the time which i guess a lot of us are but unfortunately well, i so say unfortunately fortunately we have to keep doing these because we get paid to do them and we know people enjoy them and on the subject of enjoyment kings of anglia live december the 23rd it's a week on wednesday 7 p.m christmas special of kings of anglia live you have to sign up on the zoom link which is all over our social medias we'll tweet again today and um, that's if you want to talk to us uh, and get involved and also, um, if you just want to watch, it will be screened live on, on Facebook as well. So you can just kind of watch and not necessarily um, get involved. Um, so make sure you sign up for that. 7 p.m. December the 23rd, Kings of Anglia 3 Live, the Christmas special this time. It's got bells on. That'll be very good indeed. Uh, and until then, follow us on all our social medias, obviously, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. And also leave us a five-star review on iTunes because it helps us greatly with visibility in the charts. Now then, boys, let's take our leave. Ipswich Town are back in action tomorrow. Bottom of the table, Burton, please let's have a win and let's roll to Peterborough on the back of a win and then we'll see what happens. We'll teach you again after the Burton game, though. Have a great uh, rest of the week and enjoy the game if you're going. Speak to you soon. From true crime to football, Brexit to Hopeful. more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com
1: slash channel slash Archon.